So while you're turning to that song, I'm going to give you a disclaimer. I'm looking for Delilah. Um, Delilah saw that I had 47 slides, and she came up to me and said, how long is this going to be? Uh, I said, well, I had someone I was sharing a presentation with this weekend. We had an hour and a half, and he sent me 40 slides, and I said, how long is that going to be? And he said, oh, it'll be really short. We're going to move really quick. And we moved, um, but we accomplished what we wanted to accomplish. And, and I want to tell you this morning, I'm not concerned about how long I speak. Um, I want to say what I believe I need to say. And it's not because it's my opinions or my thoughts, but I think there are a lot of important things we need to consider from God's Word on a topic that's very important. And we've spent the weekend, and I don't know if everyone here understands or knows what's going on. We have had a weekend retreat, seminar, call it whatever you want, focused on marriage and family enrichment. And there's been a lot of things said. There have been a lot of scriptures considered, and a lot of that sometimes is overwhelming. But we're thankful that the congregation here has allowed us to continue that and finish that out with you here this morning. And, and we want to continue and talk about glorifying God in our marriage. And you sit there today and say, well, I'm not married. Young people, one day our hope and aim is that you will marry because marriage is honorable. God has created marriage to perpetuate godly children who then grow up and create homes where godly children are raised and taught. And the church is strengthened because where we have strong families, we have strong churches. And when we glorify God within that marriage and that covenant relationship, there are a lot of tremendous blessings that God saves for that relationship. But you know, unfortunately, a lot of our work, and I've been in full-time evangelistic work for 18 years, there are a lot of times in that work that we're working with individuals who have had struggles in their home, they had struggles in their marriages, and, and they're sitting there trying to keep things together. And too often we focus and operate from a negative perspective. This morning I want us to reframe our minds and think of marriage as not something we just have to try to survive, but something that actually brings a ton of glory to our Creator. Because He instituted it for that very purpose. The question this morning is how do I not, how do I my marriage from ending in divorce? And to accomplish this, we have to reframe the way that we think and talk about the marriage relationship. In Ephesians chapter 3, beginning of verse 28, the Bible tells us, So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are many members of his body, of his flesh, of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Do you see the value and what God places within the institution of marriage that he created. Notice what he said about it. It's not about surviving a relationship and staying together. It's actually about being a demonstration of a great mystery that's concerning Jesus and his church. Think about the relationship of Christ and his church. Is that a relationship we just want to endure and make sure we stick out together? Or is that a relationship that is glorious in nature? Is that a relationship that has depth and meaning and perspective beyond the human idea of what it means to coexist with another person? Your homes, married couples, ought to be a demonstration of Jesus and His church. He is the groom. The church is his bride. He gave everything that he had as he poured himself out upon that cross and made the ultimate sacrifice so that he could have that relationship with you and I. Husbands, are you willing to do that for your bride? 
Are you willing to live in such a way that it's a demonstration of the love that Jesus had for his church? Wives, are you willing to live in such a way to demonstrate that submission of being that complementary part that fulfills the relationship between Christ and his church? There's value in those roles. And though the world says that those roles don't matter and that those roles can be switched and we can take whatever role we want, God determines that if we will live a life and ultimately establish this relationship in our homes, in our marriages founded upon this idea, the world won't just see a happy couple raising godly children. They will actually see the testimony of Jesus in his church. What a great opportunity <laughs> that just by building a home, we can be a light to the world. You see how that's a different way of thinking than just trying to make sure that my marriage doesn't end in divorce? We talked about it a little bit this weekend. Brother Ty talked about people say, well, how do I keep my kids off drugs? How do I keep my... You know how you keep your kids off drugs? Make sure Jesus is in their heart. You know how you keep your kids from making those life-altering mistakes? Make sure that their focus and their priority is on the kingdom of God. And teach them that your life is not just about avoiding shipwreck. Your life is about honoring and glorifying God. Let's teach that. Let's focus on that. Now, I want to tell you this. Please stop saying marry someone in the church. And you may disagree with that statement. To that, That's okay to say that. Here's the problem with that statement. What's it mean to be in the church? That they walk in a building with the right name on the outside of it three times a week and sit there and sing pretty songs? If that's your definition of what in the church is, I want you to understand something. There's people that are in the church that don't have a heart for Jesus. And if our standard is, well, just marry someone in the church, we're going to have a lot of issues, a lot of problems. We're in the middle of that with our children. I have a 15-year-old son. He's not supposed to be 15 yet. There's no way, but we wake up every day with the reality we have a 15-year-old. That means in three years, he's going to be 18, which means he has the right to do what? According to the laws of this country, whatever he wants to do. He's an adult. He's going to make decisions. He's going to make choices. And we don't tell him, hey, find someone in the church. You know what we tell them? What we tell our kids is this. Be a Christian and marry a person who is devoted to Christ and who will follow God's will. Because it's more than just coming to the right building. There has to be a heart that is willing to be submissive to God. You know what I see, have seen in marriages? I have seen... Marriages where someone married someone outside of the church, but you know what they saw in that person? They saw a heart that was willing to submit to the will of God, and that person was converted and became a disciple of Christ within that marriage relationship. You see, there's intricacies to all of these things that we just accept as our vernacular and we just go around spouting, and I want us to be careful. Certainly, we want someone that's a part of the kingdom of God, and that's the ideal. But make sure we define the terms because words have meaning. Now, we utilize this idea to illustrate the relationship that God desires us to have with our spouses. That when you enter into a marriage, it is not just a contract between you and that other individual. It is a covenant with God. God has joined you together. And in that marriage, the goal is that each of you individually continue to grow in your relationship, not only with one another to become one, but that that unity of oneness within your marriage ultimately leads you to a deeper, more meaningful relationship with your Savior. And what we see is as a husband and wife who are building their house upon the Lord, 
Ultimately, as they grow closer to Christ individually, guess what he is doing in that union? He is bringing them closer together. But often what happens? One or the other doesn't fulfill their responsibilities. And what we see is more distance. As one may be growing spiritually, the other lags behind, isn't devoted to Christ, and it hurts the home. Because you know what happens? We have split allegiance. Did Jesus say it was okay to have split allegiance? I think Jesus made it very plain, didn't he? He that is not with me is against me. I want you to think about this passage in 1 Peter chapter 3. In verse 1, he addresses wives. He says, Wives likewise be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. What's that mean? That means, wives, as you do the will of God, it's a great opportunity for your husband to be impacted by you simply being a Christian wife. Doing the things that the will of God instructs you to do submissively under his leadership, even in challenging times, provide the opportunity for him to be taught the will of God. And ultimately, that he may be won or converted because of your conduct. Husbands, verse 7, likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. Notice these responsibilities aren't just to coexist and survive and make it through our lives so we can say, we never got divorced, we held it together. No, it's that my job is to encourage Elizabeth to be a better Christian. Her job is to encourage me that at the end of our life, I have as close of a relationship as I can have with my Savior, and I can enjoy eternity with Him and with her. We talked about we all want to be in heaven. And you think about the souls that are within your home that God has given you the stewardship over. What do you want for those people? You want them to go to heaven, right? Would anyone in here say, you know, I really don't want to be, to be there. When, when we get to heaven, I, I'm not concerned if they're there or not. We want them to be there. But you know, the context of that relationship isn't going to be husband and wife. It's not going to be father and son or father and daughter. You know what it's going to be? Fellow servants of Christ. It's going to be a family, but we're going to be brothers and sisters. I may have knowledge of a prior relationship that I had with my wife here. We can debate and talk about those things. But it won't matter. Even if I had that knowledge, the overwhelming focus of heaven is who? Christ. It's not us. But I do want to be able to say, my family's here. And Lord, what you have entrusted to me to be a steward over, it's here. And it's more than I had to start with. But too often, we see this. One of the spouses grows, fights tooth and toenail to be dedicated to Christ, to fulfill their responsibilities, and guess what happens? That relationship becomes strained and challenges and life happens and Satan attacks. And if we're in this situation when Satan attacks, you know what happens to the home? comes apart. Now I want you to look at this map of marriage and these are general statements. Okay? And this timeline is general, but I do believe it's very accurate to things that we've observed and things we've experienced. Stage 1 of marriage is the first 2 years. You know what there is in a lot of the first 2 years? There's a lot of passion and romance, isn't there? And within those first two years, there's a strong physical attraction. There's still intrigue. Because you know what? You don't know that person. Oh, you know what they've shown you, what they've told you. But you really don't know everything there is to know about that person. And things are revealed on a daily basis that sometimes shock you. <laughs> sometimes you have to adjust to. But you're excited about it. 
Everything's new. You're young. There's few distractions. Your spouse is everything. And you're willing to do anything and everything to please them and keep them happy and have that relationship and that energy going in your home. But then you get to years two through five. Questions start to set in. And you say, what have I done? <laughs> I, I've taken my life and now I've joined it to another person and, and I've learned a lot of things. Some good, some annoying. Ask my wife, there's things about me she didn't know when we got married and she'll tell you, those things are annoying. Doesn't mean she doesn't love me. Doesn't mean she's not committed to but there's things that I do that annoy her. And when you discover those things for the first time, you have to figure out, how do we handle this? Do I talk to him about what's annoying or do I just let it be and not have the conversation? This human is annoying, little things. Kids changed everything because typically through these years you may start to have children in your home. There's conflict. There's other commitments which cause questions. And then we get to stage three, years five through seven. And we get to that point where I'm like, well, this will work if they do this or that. We can make this work, but they better do this. It's my way. I'm digging into the trench for the battle. And then we see, hear statements, I've done all that I can do. It's, uh, it's on them. They haven't done anything. There's little grace. There's strains in communication. And then we get to stage four, the seven-year mark. That's just the way he or she is. This is my existence. I just have to trudge through. Where's the excitement? Where's the passion? Well, that was years one and two. <laughs> right? And then reality is set in, and, and there's been challenges, there's been struggles, there's been realities. They're not going to change. Conflict is reality. We seek to fulfill our own needs. Communication continues to break down. There may be physical distancing, emotional distancing, and that oneness that you were so excited about is pulling away. Now, you make it to, through 10 years, guess what you understand? This is the real deal. True love. And you realize love is work. It's not always what you had the expectations of on your wedding day. It's hard. But I want you to understand something. You're hard to live with too. There's a deeper connection. There's healthy conflict. There's resolution. There's grace. There's a maturity level of communication. Love is evident. It's consistent. And it's practiced over and over. And through that practicing and, and being that sword that's on the anvil, being pounded by the refiner's hammer, you get to a point where we're one. And I'm going to tell you, in my mind, Elizabeth and I stood before a preacher. Her dad eventually said the words, her mother and I, <laughs> when the preacher asked, who gives this woman to be married? And we stood there and we made vows to one another. And I meant every single word. But my love for her today <laughs> is so much more than I thought it would ever be when we stood and made those vows. Oh, I logically knew I love her. I'm dedicated to her till death do us part. I want to tell you, I know what that means now. I know what it means for the poorer side of the richer and poorer. We know what it means to be on the sick side of sickness and in hell. We know what it means to have the struggle and the loss and the pain and the conflict. And now we stand there together unified and I don't think my love could get any deeper for her, but I know as we continue to grow in Christ, it's going to expose even more layers of love that we get to enjoy with one another. Here's the problem. Over 50% of marriages end before they get to that acknowledgement and that realization because 50% of marriages end in stage three and four. So you know what that tells me? We're diagnosing a problem. 
And if we're diagnosing a problem, what do we need to do to make sure our marriages and our homes survive? Now, after the 10-year mark, that doesn't mean everything's great and glorious. You never have problems. But, you know, by that point, you've lived through some things and you kind of understand how to. Now, sin can still come in and you can allow sin in your heart and it'll change you and you can revert back to that old man. But I want you to be mindful of these challenges. I want to tell you, you have shepherds who watch. And this passage pertaining specifically to the elders in Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give account that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. Yes, you have elders in this congregation, don't you? You know, we have elders in our home congregation. And I thought I understood what it meant to be an elder. And Michael did his best job to, to tell me everything you need to know. I've trained other men, and I've trained, worked with other congregations through that process. And, but I want to tell you, when I was ordained in October, as a, it, it's, it's a lot of weight and gravity on your show because you're watching for the entire flock. As an evangelist, I was inserted to, hey, we have a problem. Come help us solve this problem. And, you know, okay, elders, y'all, y'all shepherd it. But here's my point. Husbands, the elders of the church can't be the lead shepherd in your home. That's your responsibility. You need to shepherd your home under the guidance of the one good shepherd, Jesus Christ. And as our homes are led by godly men who are shepherding their homes, that filters into the church, and we understand the responsibility that's thrust upon leadership of watching for souls. You need to be an example in your home. In 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus uh, chapter 2, we see this idea of leadership. In Titus chapter 1, we talk about those qualities or characteristics of leadership and, and what we look for in men who are going to be qualified to be elders and deacons in the Lord's church one day. Chapter 3 and verse 5 says, For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? He said, well, I don't want to be an elder one day. You want to be a good husband? You better do what 1 Timothy 3 tells you to do. You want to be a good father? You need to discipline your children. You need to have structure in your home. There needs to be male leadership present in your home, not just there physically, but engaged in your home. And your children need that from you because God designed the home to provide that. And you exemplify that in your home, whether you're ever going to be an elder or not, because it's the best environment for children to thrive. And it's the best environment for marriages to flourish, which has a great and tremendous impact on the kingdom of God. And that's why your home matters. A lot of times we work with people and one of the questions I ask is, has divorce been discussed? I want to encourage you in your marriage, don't ever say the divorce word. You know what that creates? Fear. That creates a worst case scenario in people's mind. And when we operate with that in our mind, guess what? We're not worried about glorifying God. All we're worried about is keeping this thing together. You see how that impacts our mentality? This is a quote from some counseling work that Elizabeth and I do with couples who are struggling, and we ask them very bluntly, will you commit to not seeking a divorce until you really give this counseling your wholehearted effort? And you know what some people say? No. And you know what I say when they say no? Then there's nothing for us to do. Because if you're not committed to doing things the Lord's way, we can delay the inevitable, but you're down a path that you're choosing to go down. Our marriages ought to matter because our relationship with Christ matters. And we're here to love God. We're here to seek His will. And that infiltrates every aspect of our being, including our homes and our marriages. Now, I shared this with the group this weekend, that there are a lot of attacks that Satan will, will throw at our homes. And we sat around the campfire the first night and there was a large group and, and then the older generation retreated to their abodes for the evening. And then some of the older generation continued to leave and, and it whittled down to just a few of us young folks um, around that campfire. 
And we shared, and, and we talked about common struggles, and, and I shared one of mine. You see all those pillows on that bed? Yes, thank you. You understand the struggle. It's real. Because every night, you know what I got to do? I got to go to our bedroom, and I got to take off like 12 pillows and lay them on the side and get in bed. And then I get out of bed in the morning, and Elizabeth's there, and then we kind of get stirring, and she makes the bed, and, and I'm thinking, maybe tonight's the night. I don't have to move the pillows, but nope, I come back that night, and guess what? The pillows are back, and I got to move the pillow. Our homes are under attack. <laughs> now, I jest, but I want to tell you, something as simple as that can become something very big <laughs> when we don't have the right perspective, Right? But here's the thing, the reality is Satan's looking for a way to attack your home, and sometimes he may operate through minor annoyances. And if you allow him that, he'll feed you that idea that, you know what, everything in this home is about you getting everything you want. I shared one of mine. You know what one of my wife's is? Since I'm up here, I get to confess hers too. We have a lot of lamps in our living room. We have lights too, but for some reason we have to have lamps. We never turn the lights on. I don't know why we paid an electrician to install lights in our house. We have lamps. But here's one of her minor annoyances. She turns all the lamps on. It's beautiful. But you know what happens if one lamp gets turned off? She has to go turn it back on. Because why? All the lamps have to be on or all the lamps have to be off. Oh, I see some people that can relate. So guess what I'll do sometimes? I call it flirting. But I walk in the room and all these lamps are on. And I'll find the one furthest away from where she's sitting, and I'll just click. The lamp goes off, and I see her. And she's waiting to see, are you going to turn it back on? No, I'll go sit down, and I just wait. And she fights it, but then she gets up and goes and turns it on. And it's a cute thing now, because we joke and we jest and we have fun in our home. But I want to tell you, I know that annoys her. I know that's something that just kind of gets on her nerves. But have you ever done something to get on their nerves really to just get under their skin and harm them? I do that to play around and joke. But sometimes we do things on purpose just to attack them and, and cause problems. And ultimately that can infiltrate our home to where, guess what? We're revealing a problem. Your home is a tree that's producing fruit. Matthew 7 says, Even so every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore by their fruits ye shall know them. What is your home producing? What is observed in your home? Because these attacks are real. They're going to happen. And if you let them take over, then that's what's going to be seen in your home. A lack of communication. Struggles with finances, the lack of quality time, incompatibility, sexual issues, annoying habits, in-laws, pornography, children, various forms of abuse. All these things can creep in and dominate our homes to where that's all that we see. And you know why that happens? Because there's a problem with the root system. And too often, guess where we spend our time? We spend our time making sure we have the perfect financial plan. Nothing against the good financial plan, but the perfect financial plan with a lack of contentment isn't going to work. You can have all the strategies, but if in your heart you're not content with the things that you have, you're going to struggle with finances. The problem isn't those symptoms that are manifested. The problem is at the level of the heart because that's the beginning of all sin. And too often we attack these issues that are manifest, never dealing with the sin, and all we do is we spend our life picking bad fruit. And there's nothing good ever produced. I want to tell you, I've worked with couples over numbers of years who continue to struggle and we attack these but you know what never changes is the heart and we spend our life up here dealing with this and 
guess what? Until you change this at this level of the root, you're going to fight that for the rest of your life and in your marriage and in your home. You know why? Because Satan is ready to attack. He's our adversary. And we have to wake up to that realization. Now, I want you to back up in Ephesians 5. We always start with Ephesians 5 talking about Husbands loving your wives, wives submitting to their husbands. But I believe we have to back up. And if you look at Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 8, we're just going to look at a couple of excerpts. The Bible says, For you were sometimes darkness, but now are you light in the world. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. Who is he talking about here? Is he talking about husbands and wives? He's talking about all of us. As Christians, as disciples of Jesus, he says you are sometimes darkness, now you're light in the Lord. How many of you have been baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins? This passage is talking about you, whether you're a husband or a wife or neither. And ultimately, look at verse 18. Do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Get this, submitting to one another in the fear of God. What's that tell me about my attitude in life as a Christian, regardless of being a husband or wife? I ought to have a submissive attitude. It means I don't always have to have my way. My father-in-law gets his way. I'm joking. But my point is this. If we have a submissive heart and attitude where we don't always have to have our way, you know where that's going to filter into? It's going to filter into our marriages. Now, are wives told to have the role of submitting to their husbands? Absolutely. But you know when submission really comes into question? When you disagree on a decision. You know how many times Elizabeth has truly had to just submit to something she really didn't agree with? You can probably count it on less than one hand. Three or four times in our marriage. I'm not saying that because we have the perfect... We disagree, but a lot of times we discuss it, we work through it, and sometimes, you know what happens? She convinces me that she was right. Now, was that her not being submissive? No, that was her looking out for her home and her family and advocating for her point of view so that I might open my eyes to something I wasn't seeing that she saw. Was that me not taking leadership? I think it's a good example of leadership because leadership does what? It says, hey, help me see every angle of this. And we come to a conclusion and say, you know what? I agree with you. That's what we're going to do. Does that mean she's leading the home? Does that mean that I'm not being the leader? I'm, no. It just means we work through a process so that we could come to an agreement. Now, there are times where a decision has to be made, and I've looked at her and said, darling, I'm sorry. This is what we're going to do. You know what she does and has done? She says, I'm right behind you. And sometimes that decision has been the wrong one. You know what she doesn't do? I told you. She says, hey, we can fix it. Because that's the woman I married. And I know her heart. Because if she said, well, I told you so, what's that going to do? That's going to cause me to question my leadership. It's going to cause insecurities. It's going to cause a division. It's going to cause a lot of issues. Potentially in our home. Men and women are different. But we're not from different planets. We're created by one creator. For one purpose. And as different as we are, you know why God created you, men? For his glory. Women, do you know why God created you? For His glory. See, there's a great commonality that brings us together. Though our needs are different, though our desires may shift and change and, and be different, ultimately, we need to understand my goal is to glorify God. That's why He made me. Now, we're designed to help one another, as described in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18, that Eve was created as a helper, comparable or suitable or meat for the needs of the man in Adam. We have different needs. Husband's greatest need is what? We learned this weekend, if you didn't know it before, our greatest need is respect. Therefore, what does God command the woman to give? Notice how God knows what we need. Why? Because He made us. 
And if the man's greatest need is respect, what's he going to command the wife to provide? Respect. If the wife's greatest need, which the Bible tells us, is what he commands the husband to provide, then the husband is bound to his service to God to provide that to his wife. And when we do those things, we have an energizing cycle. Now, what is the presenting problem? Because you may be sitting there this morning, you may say, you know what, we've got issues in our home, we've got issues in our marriage. I want to ask you, what's the problem? Number one, is it sin due to not knowing? Did you know you could sin because you just didn't know? Didn't understand something? And that can cause destruction in your home? You know you can sin due to just willful, sinful behavior because that's what you're choosing to do? You know you can sin to a lifestyle pattern that you've created of this is now your new normal? And you have to understand which one is it because you have to attack them differently. If it's sin due not to understanding, guess what? There needs to be a lot of teaching. We need to lay a foundation. We need to lay that plan out there. What is God's plan for marriage? What is His design? Understand the difference between a covenant and a contract. You have to understand what is biblical love. What is forgiveness and reconciliation? You need to understand the roles in the home. What is male leadership? What is female submission? What's it mean to raise children? And a lot of people in our world have no idea about any of these things. And when they're converted to Christ, they're a married couple. We just assume they know they never heard this. And oftentimes in the church, our kids, we assume they know it. We take it for granted. They've heard the sermons. They've sat in the Bibles. But do they really understand it? Moms and dads, you need to be teaching this to your kids now. Now, what if it's willful, sinful behavior? Maybe it's a breakdown in communication. You know what we need to do? We need to define godly problem solving. We need to utilize Matthew 18 in your home. Too often we look at Matthew 18, well, that's talking about church discipline. That's when I have a problem with the... No, that applies in your home. When my 15-year-old has a problem with his mother, which never... Okay, I'll be honest. When my 15-year-old has a problem with dad and he goes to mom, you know what mom tells my 15-year-old? Go talk to your dad. You know why she does that? Because he's a Christian and I'm a Christian. And the Bible says if you have a problem with another brother in Christ, you go to them. Isn't that right? And my son will come to me and say, hey, this bothers me. I don't like this. All right, let's talk about it. It's not mom then coming to me. It's him. Isn't that interesting? If our kids learn that process in our home, do you think they're going to be more successful doing that in the world? Are they going to have better relationships in the church where they can be honest with one another and go have difficult conversations? I think they will. Communication and needs of expectations. Unstated expectations breed frustration. They breed resentment. Agreement on what truth is and how we arrive at this. Are these expectations realistic and biblical? When there's sinful behavior present, that's what we have to focus on to counter that attack. Now, what if it's sinful behavior? We're dealing with self-centeredness. We have a lifestyle pattern that someone has said, you know what, I'm going to do what I want to do the way I want to do it, and it's created this new normal for them. I want to tell you there's no command to love yourself. You know what God says and who God says to love? God says love Him. And then love who? Your neighbor. But what's our world say? Before you can love anybody else, you've got to love yourself. That's a lie. You love God and you love others. Because you know what other Christians are going to do? They're going to love God and they're going to love others, which means they're going to love you. And you're going to get your needs met. But as long as you're thinking about yourself, you're never going to meet the needs of anyone else, including your spouse. And you're going to struggle in your home. It means there's a lack of discipline when it's a willful lifestyle pattern. It continues to perpetuate financial problems, household duties go undone, and we're not keeping our commitments. There's a lack of accountability and responsibility. We shift the blame. We never take ownership and responsibility for what we've done. We blame everybody else, including our spouse. There's obedience is not conditional. Even though we say, well, if they'll do this, this, and this, then I'll... No. Husbands, 
Whether your wife respects you right now and her behavior towards you, guess what God commands you to do? Love her. Husbands, do that. Wives, maybe your husband isn't loving towards you right now. You know what God's command to you is? Submit to him. Because your greater responsibility is to God and not your husband. Improper priorities are created. Placing career before family, placing children before spouse, placing anything before God. And we see this pattern repeated over and over and over. And here's one thing I want to be very clear on. When we counsel, when we get help, when we seek help, do that together as a couple. Because if you're having issues in your marriage, guess who's going to have to solve that? You and your spouse together. And if you're struggling with sin in your life as a man, who's your greatest helper and support to help you get out of that? It ought to be the woman who stands next to you. And what this does is it helps prevent gossip and negative talk. It also provides open, honest, healthy confrontation. Proverbs 18 and 17 says, The first one to plead his cause seems right until his neighbor comes and examines him. Isn't that true? When you work together, guess what? You have a bigger picture of what the truth is. So they can really get the help you need in your home. Now there is a prescription for protecting your home. How many of you in your marriages had premarital counseling? Raise, raise your hands, please. Okay. Do you know couples that have any type of premarital counseling are much more likely to avoid divorce? Statistics bear that out. You know why? Because premarital counseling helps establish the foundation. If you didn't have that, doesn't mean, oh, well, our marriage is doomed. No. <laughs> but maybe you have to go back and you have to reestablish that foundation. Or at some point early in your marriage, you probably had to go back and really learn those concepts and those ideas and build from that. During the marriage, it's a responsibility of the couple to begin building their home. You have spiritual growth individually and as a couple. I'm a big believer in mentoring. And I think for the first two years of marriage, this couple needs to have someone that can help provide guidance and support and help build trust and offer biblical teaching. There needs to be continued maintenance in your marriage. Leaders available to assist with issues as necessary. There needs to be opportunities for growth and family enrichment. And you have to make that a priority in your home. And there needs to be help and accountability. And I know we've talked about accountability this weekend and sometimes you have to reach outside and you have an accountability partner. You know who my accountability partner is? It's Elizabeth. She can hold my feet to the fire like no one else. And I'm thankful for that. Your partner ought to be your greatest accountability partner. And if you're having to go outside your marriage to find an accountability partner, your marriage isn't what God needs it and designed it to be. Seek that. Provide that for one another. Now, what are the goals of premarital counseling? There's 10 studies we do. And there they are. And you know why we do that? Because young people enter into marriage with expectations. You know what their expectations are? This. Isn't that awesome? But you know what the reality is? This. Or maybe this. <laughs> Wayne's my best friend. But I guarantee you, Elizabeth didn't realize what she was going to wake up next to every morning. It ain't always pretty. I can tell you that. We have these expectations, and when reality hits, oh, no, I don't know if I can do this. Yeah, you can. Especially if you talk about those expectations and the reality of those things early in your marriage. Now, in closing, I want to say this. Genesis 2 and 24 gives us a very deep explanation of marriage. And I want you to notice these things. Therefore shall a man. You know what that means? There's maturity. He didn't say a child. He didn't say a young boy. He didn't say a lad. Therefore shall a man. Men, be men. Be mature. Be leaders. He says, leave his father 
and his mother. That means there has to be a transition. That my life as a man is no longer just about myself and what I want to do. It's no longer about what my father and mother want for me and what I'm doing in this life is not to please them because I'm transitioning because all of a sudden I've left my father and mother which gave me a model of a complete family unit. Guess what that tells every married couple in here? You need to model this for your children. So that when it comes time for them to establish their home, what have you done? You've laid the groundwork for them. Ultimately, they shall cleave unto who? His wife. That means there's a new family formed. And no longer is he concerned just about himself, but his complement, his wife. And they together do what? They become one flesh in the sight of God. Do you have that in your home? You've heard that verse before, haven't you? And maybe you've dissected it. You've looked at all those responsibilities and those roles and said, you know what, I'm going to live up to that. I'm going to be a man who leads. I'm going to be a man who establishes what was modeled for me. And maybe I didn't have it modeled for me, but I'm going to want to be the one that sets that tone and establishes that. So my children leave my home and say, my parents modeled that for me. We shared stories this weekend of individuals who didn't have that, but you know what they're dedicated to now? Making sure their children have that. So their children grow up and establish homes that are built upon God's Word. And this is the reason why strong families make strong churches. How many of us want strong churches? How many of us want to go out into the world and share the gospel of Jesus Christ? We can't do it if our own homes are in chaos. We can't do it if our own homes aren't dedicated to the mission of serving Jesus Christ. And ultimately, we become one flesh, the deepest level of intimacy that's available to humanity in the sight of God. Congregations, I think you need to have a plan. Leaders and churches in your home congregations, you want to talk more about this? Get with me after services. Give me a call next week. We'll talk about it. But there's a plan to implement within your congregations that will help you set this tone and put this model to work so that your families are strengthened and your congregations see the benefit of those strong families in their homes. And I want to close with this. Rediscover your oneness. Elizabeth and I do a Bible study with couples sometimes, and we say, why'd you get married? You ever ask somebody that, Michael? You have a couple that's fighting, they're struggling, say, why'd you get married? <laughs> you know, Elizabeth and I had to do that with one another. Why'd we get married? We loved each other. We were dedicated to one another. You know, before we got married, we, we were dating. And I was in Dallas, she was in Houston. You know what I did every other weekend? I worked all night Friday night, got off at 6 a.m. Saturday morning. Guess where I went? I didn't go home because I had my bags packed in my car, that red Mustang, and I took off to Houston. And I got to Houston about 9 or 10 that morning, and guess what I did? I spent every minute I could with her. You know why? Because I wanted to spend every minute with her. And you know what? We went to church every Sunday. We'd go to church that Sunday afternoon, and I knew, man, Monday morning's coming. I've got to go back to class. I've got to go back to work that night. But, you know, I might leave Houston 11 o'clock at night. And you know what I did? I drove all the way home, got home at 2 in the morning, got up at 6 and did it all over. And then two weeks later, guess what? Do it again. You know why? I loved her, right? I wanted to be with her. I wanted to spend time with her. And now I won't even do the dishes for her. Shame on me. I won't even just spend time just with her. Shame on me. I almost kill myself just to spend some few hours with her. Y'all understand, right? I would take interest in things that she had wanted to do. I had no desire to do. And I'd smile about it. Because I wanted her to be happy. Because one day I wanted to spend the rest of my life with her. And I got her and said, oh, okay. I don't have to like that anymore, I guess. I got you. That's the wrong attitude. You know what my wife really loves? She's artistic. I'm not artistic. She loves to paint. 
And she'll sign us up for these date nights where we go and an instructor that's very skilled and artistic stands in front and says, take this size of brush and, and make little swirls and, and ends up a beautiful picture. I can't do that. <laughs> you know what ends up happening? Elizabeth goes and enjoys that. But I want to tell you something. Guess where I'm at? I'm right beside her watching her paint my picture too. <laughs> no, I take an interest because she likes to do that. Do I want to paint an angel with the sunrise in the background? I have no desire to do that. But you know what I want to do? I want to be with my wife. I want her to know, hey, Chase enjoys the things you enjoy because I see you have joy in your heart when we do this together. Because you know what my wife does? She'll load up four kids for six weeks. And while I'm preaching a meeting, she's getting kids ready for church every night. She's getting them up and dressed and ready for the day. And she's putting them to bed at 11 or midnight and doing it again and again and again for six weeks. When there's a ball game that one of our sons is at, she's going to be there. Does she love sports? No. We probably love it too much. But you know where she's going to be? She's going to be there because it's something her family enjoys doing. Her boys enjoy it. She's going to support that within reason. You know, Elizabeth doesn't like hunting. Did y'all know that? <laughs> But you know, when we have a hunting trip, if we can take the whole family, you know what she'll do? She'll go and she'll be in the cabin and she'll help prepare meals and we'll go out and hunt and we'll come back and guess what? She'll have food. She'll provide for us. She'll enjoy the quality time for us. Guys, you would go to the ends of the earth when you were dating her. You better go to the ends of the earth after you've said I do to her and maintain that kind of relationship in your home. This morning, maybe you haven't been the husband, father, wife, mother. Ultimately, it's about you being a child of God. Maybe you haven't been a disciple that you needed to be. And maybe that has manifested itself in your relationships within your home. You can change that this morning. Jesus is there. He made the offering. He made the sacrifice. Maybe you need to be born again. Maybe you need a renewal. Maybe you need a fresh start. You need your sins forgiven so you can enter that relationship. Do that this morning. But if you have doubts and questions about your relationship with God, it's going to cause problems in every other relationship you try to have on this earth. Get that relationship right this morning. Come to Him. Repent. Be restored in your salvation with Him. And He will renew your life which can renew your home and your marriage. But you have to take the step. We have a song of invitation selected. All you have to do is come and have a seat on the front as we stand together and sing.